Welcome to the Sufi Reverberations Podcast, where each week, God willing, you will be able to hear a poem, a story, a meditation, and a musical interlude that give expression to one Sufi's perspective concerning the mystical dimension of Islam. My name is Anab Whitehouse, and I will be your host. Although I am not a sheikh, nonetheless I did have the opportunity to spend 16 years in the company of a Sufi saint of the 20th century and by the grace of God, was able to gain a few insights into the nature of the Sufi mystical path through that association. So, without further delay, let's proceed to the essential contents of this episode. This week's selection of Floetry is in memory of the teachings of Hazrat Hujwiri. May God be pleased with him. There are some who claim that nothing can be known, but when one seeks to verify this idea, its truth seems contradictory since the proof is its own antithesis. When those who are inclined to seclusion enter a tavern, it becomes transformed to a sober place where drinks of delusion ferment slowly to a spiritual brew. But if those influenced by worldly drink stumble drunkenly into the pure cell of a mystic, everything that they think fades as the new drinking place casts its spell. Veils are manufactured from the dense wood of ignorance and must be burned away to throw yourself into the fire of good intentions and gnosis may come to stay. A Sufi soul keeps a balance between thought and action so as to be present in consciousness with what is felt and seen, to be with what is and not be absent. Some say the central mark of poverty is to have no worldly goods in one's hand. Others claim that when the self is empty of once, then we may come to understand. A drunken seeker came into a store and was called a madman by one and all. He said, my madness is sane to its core, while your sanity has entered freefall. We repent and fear when God's majesty is disclosed, while we become filled with shame when we feel God's compassionate beauty. But they are two faces of the same game. If you look to creation, you will fail. Therefore, divest yourself of worldly ways and look for truth so that you may prevail in the mercy of God all of your days. The Quran says that whenever a place is invaded by a powerful king, that space is destroyed. Why not let God's grace lay waste to your soul and help freedom reign? Both poverty and wealth are teaching tools one is corrupted by forgetfulness, the other is spoiled by covetous fools. Each lesson must be learned to have success. 
Satisfaction joined with contemplation is better than combining hungry pain with mortification by privation, for through concentration souls become sane. Knowledge without action is an empty cup. Indeed, the claim that one knows in the absence of practice is illusory. Only through discipline will you be free. The title of the following story is A Depressed King. There once was a king who had everything a person possibly could want in the way of money, fame, power, and material possessions. In addition, the king had been blessed with good looks, considerable intelligence, and extraordinary health, to such an extent that he had never known a sick day in his life. In fact, not so much as even a slight toothache had touched him. Yet he felt something was missing in his life, something that his wealth could not buy, nor his power command, nor his fame attract. Consequently, he was mystified by his condition because he had been brought up to believe that the gateway to happiness was gained through all the money, treasures, and status he already enjoyed. But alas, he was not happy. However, the king was not an ungrateful individual, and despite his feeling of dissatisfaction or a sense of malaise about a certain aspect of his life, he was very thankful for all the many, many blessings which had been conferred on him. Indeed, since the king was a good man who cared about his subjects and was not interested in being a tyrant or making the lives of his people miserable, and because he was not someone who had acquired his wealth at the expense of his subjects through such things as taxation, stealing from them, or confiscating their lands, the king did all he could to try to improve the lives of others by sharing his good fortune with them. Being human, however, sometimes the king became disappointed with his life. While there seemed to be no reason why he should feel unhappy or sad, nonetheless this was his condition, and he seemed powerless to do anything about it. Furthermore, the combination of a lack of understanding concerning the source of the problem, along with his inability to do anything about it, would, from time to time, induce him to fall into a condition of despair about existence. Whenever he came under the spell of this state, he would become agitated with trying different kinds of activity or seeking to find something that would alleviate his sense of pain and darkness caused by his mysterious ailment. However, nothing he tried ever really seemed to work, and instead he found that, given enough time, the condition tended to pass on its own, seemingly in a manner that was unrelated to any of the things he had tried in order to hasten its departure. Nevertheless, sometimes the amount of time that would have to pass before he felt his condition improve was considerable, and these periods were very painful. Furthermore, he was somewhat fearful because he believed the length of his depressions was starting to increase with each new manifestation of the malady. One day, when the king was in such a state of depression, he assembled the people of his court and said, My people, I am sorry to say on this occasion that I am under the sway of a certain kind of darkness and emptiness within, and although I have tried different things to dispel this feeling, I have been unsuccessful. So I thought I would try something else and see what happens, 
and I need your assistance in this. Since the people of the court recognized the king as a just and good man, they were eager to do whatever he wished and awaited further instructions. These duties were spelled out when the king informed them, Please, go into the city and as quickly as you can, bring to the great hall of the palace whatever people you may find from our kingdom. When those whom you have gathered have been assembled, I will make an announcement that may be of interest and benefit to everyone. The members of the king's court set about their task. Within an hour, a great many of the king's subjects had streamed into the great hall. The room was filled with an electricity of anticipation concerning the king's forthcoming pronouncement. Finally, when all who were going to come appeared to be present and had taken their seats, the king arose from his throne and started to speak to the hushed crowd. My people, as you may know, I am experiencing one of my periodic bouts of malaise, and I am hoping that what I am about to say may do something to help my condition. More specifically, I am issuing a royal edict, entitling each of you here to take one object from among the treasures of this palace. When your appointed turn arrives, please take whatever you like, whether it be jewels, gold, or other precious things from the palace, and leave in peace. If I can't be happy, then perhaps seeing your joy will help bring some sense of contentment into my life. The people were all amazed at the king's generosity and kindness. After the reality of the great opportunity inherent in the king's words began to sink in among the assembled people, they started to roam through the palace, and one by one each of them was permitted to take whatever she or he wanted. Since there were a lot of people present, this process took quite some time. Late in the evening, all but one of the king's subjects had selected an item and left the palace. The individual was brought to the king, and one of the representatives of the court who was accompanying the person indicated that this lone straggler, who was a young man, was requesting permission to ask the king a question. The king was tired after the long day's events, and despite the great happiness that appeared on the faces of his subjects as they left the palace with this or that treasure, the king was still feeling despair over his own unchanged inner condition. However, the king quickly granted the man his request, for the king wished to dispense with this last matter and go to bed. Is it really true, inquired the young man, that I may select whatever I wish and love from among the contents of this palace? The king, believing his earlier edict to have been quite clear, was somewhat irritated with the question. Nonetheless, he kept his frustration in check and gently said, Yes, anything you want is yours. The young man hesitated a little, and then, eyes brimming with emotion, indicated, In that case, I want your friendship, because I have always loved and admired you as a human being. One of the king's attendants said to the young man, What a clever fellow you are! All of the other people took a single item, but you're going for the source of everything. You play a good game, son. Why settle for one thing when you can have whatever you want, whenever you want it? The young man replied, No, that's not my intention. I only wish the king's friendship, nothing else. The king was somewhat stunned at the young man's words. After all, 
The individual could have had anything he wanted from the palace. Yet all he wanted was the king's friendship. But there was something even more extraordinary that the king noticed in conjunction with the young man's request. The king's depression and emptiness had disappeared. Today's musical interlude is entitled Lasting Impression. The past is just a memory, and the future is but a possibility. How imperceptibly the present fades into what will never be again, as it becomes immersed in the mists of not yet realized possibilities. You are listening to the transitory, fleeting, perishable, fragment-filled remnants of the Sufi Reverberations podcast. I'm going to make you an offer you can't refuse. Well, I suppose all offers can be refused, so I'll amend my opening statement and simply say, 
I'm going to make you an offer that I hope you won't refuse. I would like to offer you free, and I do mean free, access to all 40 books that I have written, plus 35 pieces of floetry that were composed over the years, as well as five videos and some podcast recordings covering different topics. This is all contained in the Bridge software that is available through my website, www.anab-whitehouse.com. If you go to my website, click the Bridge Software Choice on the drop-down menu one option, and then discover how to download the Bridge Software for free, no strings attached. My hope is that you will like what you find in the software and, therefore, will be willing to come back and participate in my Patreon campaign to give books to various libraries. But even if you have no interest in supporting the foregoing Patreon campaign, nonetheless, the Bridge software is still yours to have for your personal reading, listening, and viewing experience. Today's edition of Meditative Thoughts is entitled, Curriculum. Many people believe mysticism is just a lot of pie in the sky, cloaked in bizarre rituals. These same people tend to maintain mysticism is highly subjective, with little practical relevance to the real world. In addition, there is a strong suspicion among such people that spiritual guides are flimflam artists who either want your money or wish to enslave you, or both. Mystical teachings are considered by many people to be come-ons which are vague and confused, promising fantastic powers but delivering little, if anything, which is substantial and tangible. Moreover, many people operate under the assumption there is really no difference between mysticism and either magic or the occult. Generally speaking, people who hold the foregoing kinds of view have never met or spent time with a genuine mystical guide. Most, if not all, of their ideas on the matter are opinions based on received doctrine from someone else who, also, is essentially ignorant about things mystical. They may have come in contact with individuals who claim to be authentic mystical teachers but who, in reality, were not genuine. However, just as there is a difference between a counterfeit article and that which is being counterfeited, so too there is a fundamental set of differences between, on the one hand, true mystical teachers and teachings, and on the other hand, pseudo-mystical teachers and teachings. As is the case with all other subjects, there are people who know what they are talking about when it comes to mysticism, and there are also people who do not know what they are talking about and try to sound as if they do have such knowledge. If the audience being addressed on such matters is ignorant of the truth, a false teacher can appear to be as impressive as a true teacher. The problem faced by the average individual who is interested in mysticism is the following. Trying to figure out how to differentiate between genuine tender and its counterfeit. A little gift of the gab, along with a modicum of charismatic showpersonship, plus a dash of chutzpah, can dazzle a lot of people into confusion and error. Mysticism has absolutely nothing to do with the occult or magic. 
There may be dimensions of reality which do give expression to magical and occult phenomena, but the mystical path is independent of and entirely transcendent to such phenomena. Mysticism is not about pie in the sky. Mysticism is about the nature of the reality of our essential capacity and identity. Mysticism is not impractical. It gives expression to eminently useful principles and practices which help us resolve and deal with the problems of day-to-day -day life. Mystical teachers are not flim-flam artists who have an abiding interest in money and control of other people's lives. Genuine mystical teachers are artists of truth and love who are unfailingly dedicated to compassion and helping people to realize their full capacity as human beings. Mystical teachings are not a collection of rambling, obscure and vague pronouncements. True mystical teachings are very specific, often in-your-face challenges to and confrontations of the false self. Mysticism does not give expression to the ruminations of fanatical subjectivity. Authentic mysticism is the exact opposite of subjectivity. The more subjective one is, the further from the truth one is. One of the objects of the mystical path is to induce us to give up the many subjectivities which govern and ruin our lives. The promises of the mystical path are rather substantial and concrete. We will have to struggle and persevere. We will have to exercise patience and do justice. We will have to sacrifice our egos. We will have to accept difficulty and hardship with equanimity. We will have to learn how to swim in a sea of incredibly strong undertoes of confusion and doubt. We will have to generate not just feelings of compassion for others, we will have to strive to actively and tangibly show compassion for others. We will have to exercise sincerity in all we do. We will have to undergo the greater pain and trauma of the death of the false self before we endure the pain and trauma of the lesser death of the physical body. If, by the grace of God, we are able to accomplish all of the foregoing, then if God wishes, we will attain the peace, joy, freedom, understanding, and love which comes with the realization of our essential capacities and our true identities. Sufi masters have themselves experienced all of this, and their lives give a running testimony to the truth of what has been promised, both with respect to the struggles and difficulties, as well as in relation to the possible fruits of one's endeavors. A curriculum is sometimes described as a means or method used to bring an educational goal to completion. The curriculum of the Sufi path involves a no-nonsense, rigorous discipline which has a beginning, a middle, and an end. The goal of the mystical path is to know, love, worship, and serve God in an unceasing, intense, and direct manner. In order to have a chance of realizing this goal, a variety of subjects and methodologies must be experientially engaged, ingested, and implemented in the fabric of one's life. One must study the psychology of the false self. One must be trained in the requirements and nuances of spiritual etiquette, which are capable of not only combating the false self, but also are able to give expression to spiritual qualities of purity and harmony, which supplant the machinations of the false self. One must learn the nature and significance of objectivity. In conjunction with this, one must become well-versed in the sources of spiritual distortion 
bias, and error. One must come to understand the parameters and possibilities inherent in different spiritual instruments and modalities within us. In addition, one must learn how to calibrate these instruments and modalities so they give reliable, useful, experiential results. One must be helped to gain facility with a variety of practices and techniques such as chanting, meditation, and contemplation. The how, when, why, and what of these practices involve a variety of principles and cautions which are not always easily acquired or implemented. One needs to develop a taste for, appreciation of, and insight into the meaning of the events and the experiences which one encounters along the Sufi path. The scope of human potential is immense, and learning how to sort out the numerous forces, both problematic as well as beneficial, which act on us and through us, is a very complex issue. One must learn how to bring balance, harmony, and justice into all dimensions of one's life and one's interactions with the rest of creation. The middle way is the golden mean to a properly ordered life in each of these respects. However, coming to understand exactly what this involves in any given instance requires much practice and struggle. All of the foregoing areas of investigation are part of the Sufi curriculum. They each have important contributions to make in assisting the individual towards the realization of the goal of the Sufi path. Anyone who, God willing, sincerely pursues the mystical curriculum under the guidance of a genuine guide will come to experience firsthand that mysticism in general and the Sufi path in particular are very, very different from what most people suppose to be the case. Such people will come to know mysticism is not an incoherent, subjective, impractical, occult-like set of speculations and theories which are incapable of satisfying the promise of self-realization and direct experience of divinity. You have been listening to the Sufi Reverberations Podcast. I hope you will join me next week for a new episode of this program. May peace be your companion. Thank you.